So the title of this uh, next few weeks series is called More. The subtitle is the kicker, though, uh, why the future might be better than you think. You know, we live in a world, come on, that is fueled by the scarcity mentality because scarcity sells. This is the plan of the enemy from day one, and somehow it's the theme of culture, and we see it all around us everywhere we live. I saw the trailer for this new movie coming out. Maybe you've seen the movie already, uh, San Andreas. Has anybody seen that already? Heard about it? A few of you have seen it. I'm sure that caused you to sleep really good at night. Um, Hollywood is really great about creating these uh, scarcity epic movies about the end times of the world, but there's always a hero like Dwayne The Rock Johnson um, is always in the story somehow. So in San Andreas, if you haven't seen it yet, let me just help you with the short summary, maybe save you 15 bucks. Um, It's San Andreas is Dwayne The Rock Johnson versus an earthquake. (laughs) Now let me ask you right away, who wins in San Andreas? Oh, I know, the the city crumbles, skyscrapers fall to earth, people's lives end, a tsunami comes in and and washes the Golden Gate Bridge away. But who wins in this movie? Obviously, somebody whose name is The Rock Johnson, Dwayne The Rock Johnson wins at the end of this movie. So you can see it, but that's how it ends. But I'm trusting you, if you do see it, at the end of it, you're gonna be scared to death and you're gonna be moving all your relatives out of San Francisco at the end of the day. If you're not moving them from there, you're gonna read this article. I hate to even mention this. It, it came through a friend of a friend to Shelly and Shelly told me about it and then I went and read it and then I've told some people about it, but don't read it. Um, it's in the New Yorker magazine and it's by a seismologist and he is talking about how we are moments away from a seismic event that's gonna leave the coasts of Oregon and Washington State in the Pacific Ocean. It's not in Us magazine. It's in the New Yorker magazine. It's about, I don't know how long it is in the magazine. I read it on my phone. It, I, I scroll, you know how you read on your phone and you scroll up like three times and think you're done, but then there's that advertisement and you go, oh, there's a little more of this article. That happened about 20 times in this article. It's a very long very well-documented piece evidencing the fact that the tectonic plate under the Pacific Ocean, which is moving up under the plate of the North American continent, is about to break loose. And when that does, you don't wanna be living anywhere near the ocean in the state of Oregon or Washington or in Vancouver. Turn on the news at 11. Why do we turn on the news at 11? This is the question I'm starting to ask myself. Because the 11 o'clock news is an eight-minute blitz of death and destruction, which is what everyone needs just before you repose from a long day's work (laughs) and seek the rest that you need for what's to come tomorrow so you can sleep knowing there was another fire. There is one every day. There was another shooting. There's one every day. There was another robbery. There's one every day in our city and in every city. But they never start the 11 o'clock news with our leading story tonight, and all of a sudden now they get that tone of voice about them. There's a family in Atlanta, Georgia, you are not gonna believe it, they've just arrived home at Hartsfield-Jackson International Airport today. They have traveled to another continent to adopt a child with a disability and welcome that child into their home. A child that had no shot at life has now got an amazing shot at life because we live in Atlanta, Georgia, where people are incredible. Welcome to a Living alive. You know? <laughs> I mean, it's like, no. Police are now on the scene of a shooting in DeKalb County, blah, 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 blah. We're gonna go to JoJo and he's gonna tell us about it. Yeah, there was a shooting right here, just now. And you're like, wow, click that off, Braves lose again, and now I gotta go to sleep. This is my, this is my life, you know? This is, this is my life. Scarcity and fear sell big time. And the enemy knows this, and this is what he wants to bring into our lives and the way that he wants to operate in and through this culture to influence the way that we think about life. In fact, Jesus said it so clearly, John's Gospel, chapter 10, verse 10, one of the hinge passages of all of Scripture. Jesus said, the thief comes to steal and to kill and destroy. So the enemy's plan for your life And the way that he wants to approach your world is very simplistic. 
He does not have a complicated plan. He may work it out with a lot of complicated details, but the plan is very simple. It's a fear-based plan to cause you to lose trust and confidence in God so that then he can take away from you what God has promised to you so that ultimately you can live with less and not more. And this is the simple plan of the enemy. Simply put, the enemy's plan is less, but God's purpose and plan for your life is more. I I read a book this year called Abundance, and I actually stole the subtitle and tweaked it a little bit for this series from this book. So I want to say that right out front so the authors of this book see this. They'll know that I'm giving them proper credit. The book is not a spiritual book necessarily. It's quite a technical book talking about how, historically speaking, the future has always turned out to be better than the past. Hello. That in every generation, something new happens, something new emerges, something new is innovated, and the future becomes way better than anyone in the past ever dreamed that it can be. And the trends are that this is gonna continue on in our lifetime and in the generations to come, that the world is actually moving not toward less, but towards more. These guys, from my, as far as I know, I don't know them, are not pur- uh, purporting like a Jesus story. They're just giving us the facts about how life has been so we can understand how life is going to be in the future. When I saw the book, I thought, this is the only book written right now that you can find anywhere to read that says the future is going to be better than the past. One of the ways that they illustrated this was by saying that right now in America, and there are real problems in the world, by the way, and I'm going to touch on that in just a second. I'm not denying the fact that we're living on a broken planet, but they said a hundred years ago, if you told the richest people in America, the haves of the haves of the haves in America, those families that owned everything, and had a lock on all the industries that were uh, opening the way for America to become the great industrial power that it became. If you said to those families that they could have the things that people living below the poverty line in America have today, they would have looked at you like you were crazy. And I'm not denying that there's a need, even in this room, that there are people in this building today who have great needs much less in this city and in this world. But in America, people living below the poverty line in America, 99% of them have electricity, a toilet that flushes, running water, and a refrigerator. 95% of the people living below the poverty line in America have a television. 88% of the people living below the poverty line in America have a telephone. A lot of them have a smartphone or a cell phone. 71% of them have a car and 70% of them have air conditioning in their house. And if you told the Vanderbilts 100 years ago that they could have all of those things, they would have thought that's the greatest dream I've ever heard. And this is true in every way as you look around the world. There are a billion people right now who don't have access to clean water. And there will be people every few seconds as I speak today who will die on planet Earth simply because they don't have access to clean water. There are children who every few seconds as I speak today will die in the world because of the lack of nutrition in their lives. There are billions of people who don't have access to the scriptures today, right in this moment, as we freely open this living word of God. There are 30 million people, as we talk about a lot in the passion movement, who are enslaved in America and all around the world in various forms today, and you could go on and on and on and on. The stories are real, and you don't have to look outside the building today to know that. Some of you in your personal world, there are relationships that are on the rocks, the money is tight, that the cards have not played out the way that you thought they would in life. For a lot of you in the room right now, you thought you would manage the drugs, but the drugs, in fact, are managing you. There's a lot of dreams that have evaporated in this room right now. It is a broken planet, and it is a difficult world, but the reality is that we are gathered today to worship a God who is living and alive, who is powerful and active, and who is running the universe 
to his conclusion, not just to some random conclusion. And he is the one who's in charge of everything that's happening in the world right now. And not only is there evidence in the book I read of a lot of technical trends that show that in our generation, we may just be living in the very best generation where clean water will reach billions of people in our lifetime. Some of you have given of your time and energy and your resources to see that become a reality. It's true that in our lifetime, the 30 million slaves in this world will have a voice rise up on their behalf. People will rise up and start speaking on their behalf, and governments will act. People will act. Generosity will happen, and freedom will come to the slaves in this world right now as we speak. In our lifetime, the scripture is going to come to the people's of earth to all the people groups on earth who've never read scripture in their heart language. It's gonna happen and it's gonna happen in our lifetime. The education opportunities for people in the world is gonna skyrocket in our lifetime. The eradication of disease is gonna elevate in our lifetime like never before. That's why these writers said the future is better than you think. And I thought to myself, why does it take two non-Jesus storytelling authors to tell me that the future might be better than I think? Why are we not telling the world, don't worry, calamity may come, but God is greater than the calamity. The need may arise, but God is bigger than the need, and I don't know what you're facing in life, but I know God is gonna be enough for you, and he is gonna see you through because he is a God of more. The thief may come to steal and kill and destroy, but Jesus entered the story, and he said, but I have come that you might have life, and you might have it how? That you might have it, say it with me, abundantly. Your translation may say that you might have it to the full. Jesus is about giving us more. We're not talking about Gucci and Mercedes. We're not talking about a life of luxury. We're talking about a life, as these authors said, and I love the way they said it, a life of possibility, a life where everything for you is a possibility because of the power and the presence and the person of God in your life. So what, what do we wanna do today? What do we wanna do in these weeks? We wanna ask God to blow up the scarcity mentality to root out the fear that has ruled our lives and to replace that fear with faith and confidence in God with the belief that God's not only gonna give us what we need, he's gonna always be for us more than we need in every situation all the days of our lives. And I, I, and I have a clap for that because that's a promise that we're all hanging on to. God is in the midst. God is in the midst, and that's what Sabbath is really all about. You know, a lot of people always ask, why, do you, why does your church take two weeks off? And, and I say, well, A, we're not really taking two weeks off. We're really pausing to, to stop and to rest and to remember the faithfulness of God. Because if we don't do that, we will believe that the future depends on us and not on God. And if you believe the future depends on you, then you're gonna be stressed on day one, and we rest and remember God's faithfulness in our lives, and we remember that God is in charge of everything. Um, I was reminded of this passage in the message um, which Eugene Peterson so beautifully and powerfully uh, gave to us as a gift. Eugene Peterson, if you don't know him, amazing um, lifetime pastor, um, Hebrew scholar, Greek scholar, and then he gave us this version of scripture in a very readable format. And I was thinking about this one verse that he wrote, and I went and sort of dug into the whole chapter. It comes from Ephesians chapter one. I don't wanna read the whole chapter, but I'm tempted to. But I do wanna read about a half of the chapter, if I can, because it's Sabbath again. It's reminding us again. It's remembering again. It's looking at the need, yes. It's looking at the challenge, yes. It's looking at the calamities of life, but it's also remembering the faithfulness of God who he is and who we are in him. So just pick it up in the middle. It says this. It says, it's in Christ that we find out who we are and what we're living for. Long before we first heard of Christ and got our hopes up, 
He had his eye on us, had designs on us for glorious living. Part of the overall purpose, he is working out in everything and everyone. Can I just say that again? Long before we had heard of Christ, he had his eye on us, had designs on us. He continues, it's in Christ that you, once you heard the truth and believed it, the message of your salvation, you found yourselves home free, signed, sealed, and delivered by the Holy Spirit. This signet from God is the first installment on what's coming, a reminder that we'll get everything God has planned for us, a praising and glorious life. That's why when I heard of this solid trust you have in the Master Jesus and your outpouring of love to all the Christians, I couldn't stop thanking God for you. Every time I prayed, I'd think of you and give thanks. But I do more than thank. I ask, I ask the God of our Master, Jesus Christ, the God of glory, to make you intelligent and discerning and knowing him personally, your eyes focused and clear so that you can see exactly what he's calling you to do. Grasp the immensity of this glorious way of life he has for Christians. Oh, the utter extravagance of his work in us who trust him. Endless energy, boundless strength. All this energy, he goes on to write, issues from Christ. God raised him from death and set him on a throne in deep heaven in charge of running the universe. Everything from galaxies to governments, no name, no power exempt from his rule. And not just for the time being, but forever. He is in charge of it all, has the final word on everything. And at the center of all this, Christ rules the church. Thank you. I was waiting for an amen somewhere along in there. Let me just back up. Maybe we can all give one right there. At the center of all this, Christ rules the church. The church, you see, is not peripheral to the world. The world is peripheral to the church. The church is Christ's body in which he speaks and acts, by which he fills everything with his presence. I've been thinking about that phrase. I've been thinking about that phrase. The church, you see, is not peripheral to the world. In other words, it's not like there's a real world and real power and Wall Street and Main Street and Hollywood and the governments and the presidents and all of that. And then over here, there's all those you know, people gathered for worship today, God bless them, you know, all the church-going people with their, their story about Jesus. No, it's completely the other way around. There is all of the church-going people today and their story about Jesus, who, by the way, is the one who created everything that is and runs every government in every nation and in every place on earth right now and is in charge and ruling over all that he has made. That Jesus who spoke the world into creation, died for the sins of the world, triumphed over death, hell, sin, and the grave, is alive today, bringing us to life in his life knitting us together into a family called his people, his bride, his body, his church, empowered by his spirit, sealed by his promise, fueled by his word, his light in a darkened world that will not perish because he is the one who was and is and is to come. That Jesus is leading his church at the center of everything today and everything else in the world is on the fringes of that today. You're like, man, you got it upside down. No, you have it upside down. We are not in a scarcity mentality. We are in a winning mentality because we are a part of something that Jesus is doing and whatever Jesus is doing, trust me, is gonna prevail in the end.
The only question that matters to you today is not how much your need is, not how deep your hole is, not how dark your past is. The only question that matters to you today is, is Jesus in your story? Is he in your story? Because if he's not in your story, then the thief is in your story and he's stealing and robbing you blind today. But if Jesus is in your story, then your story is going to be a story of more. I wanna tell a couple of uh, more stories from scripture. And uh, it's, it's interesting, my notes, uh, I, I put the wrong reference to a text in my notes uh, as I typed them and sent them over to our team. And then I caught it a little bit later, but I didn't go back and change it in my notes. And so I just blurted it out because I was so excited earlier that the first story I wanted to share was from Luke 2, 1 uh, to 11. And it's actually John 2, 1 to 11. But um, I, Luke 2, 1 to 11 is the birth of Jesus. So that's just for free today. And that's an abundant story where there was a scarcity mentality right there. If there ever was a scarcity mentality, it was 400 years of silence without a prophet. And you know some gloom and doom was selling in the 400 years between the last word of prophecy and the birth of Jesus. But hello, into the gloom and doom, a baby cried, and God said, not just yet. The story might be better than you think. Just might be better. The future might just be better than you think. So that's a free story. The first real story is John 2, 1 to 11. And most of us know this story. It's the first miracle of Jesus. It happened at a wedding in the little town of Cana, which he attended and his followers attended. And you already know the story. Incredible wedding, beautiful couple, uh, phenomenal engagement photo shoot. And uh, everything was awesome. They got married in this amazing old barn. And everything was kind of chic, shabby. It was, it was incredible. Um, <laughs> And so at the end of it was the reception. And you know, that's what it's all about, right? I mean, you go to these weddings now and it's like, okay, how long, how short can the ceremony be? And uh, how soon can we dance for two hours and um, to Uptown Funk? So that's really what weddings are all about. So sealing a couple forever in the unity of, of marriage, that's, that's great, but let's get the party started. And so the party had started, but news came to the party's owner that the wine was running short. And to us, we're thinking, so what? But to this family, this is a big deal because this means that the, the memory of the, the wedding of this, this man and this young woman are, is gonna end up being, yeah, we went to that wedding. That was the wedding where the, the, the party ran out. That was gonna be the story of that wedding. And Mary got wind of it and she knew Jesus could do stuff and so she said Jesus should do something and Jesus didn't wanna do anything yet because he was just starting uh, into his public ministry on earth and he said my time hasn't come yet and she said okay well just do whatever you wanna do, it's up to you to do what you wanna do. She understood how the kingdom works and then she said to to the servants there, whatever he says, Jesus, whatever he says, do that. Well, the scripture says there were six stone water pots there that held 25 to 30 gallons of each. These were pots used for ceremonial cleansing for people who would come to worship in the Jewish faith. And so these water pots were there and Jesus said to the servant, fill them up. And so they went and filled them all up. So it's 25 to 30 gallons and each of these six pots filled them up with water. And um, somehow in the process, Jesus did a miracle. And he's told him to take some of it to the, uh, to the, the guy who was running the par party. And so this is what happened in verse seven. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. If Jesus tells you to fill them up, man, fill them up to the tops, what I'm telling you. <laughs> you know, if these people have been scarcity mentalities, I used to fill them up, okay, well, well, I don't know, people don't want water, there's a big party going on, they're not gonna need a lot of water. They wanted wine, we're running out of wine, so I don't know, we don't have to fill them all the way to the top, right? Because that's just gonna be a waste, and so let's just put a little bit of water in each one. Whenever God comes to you and asks you to do something, just go all in. Scarcity is always gonna make you fear because the enemy always wants to, to make you fear. He wants to suffocate you with that scarcity concept and make you afraid to go all in with God, but God has already gone all in with you. And so the God who's already gone all in with you is trustworthy for you with, with whatever you've got to go all in with him because you're not bringing the only innocent son of God. Whatever you're bringing is, is not that. And so he's already gone all in for you. And so when he says, I want you to go all in with me, just go all in and then double down if you can. 
Because what's about to happen is not gonna be less, it's gonna be more. It's not gonna be scarcity, it's gonna be abundance, what happens in the equation where God invites you to fill up the water pots, fill them up with your faith, fill them up with your confidence, fill them up with belief, fill them up with trust in what God is gonna do for you. He said, fill them up. So they, they filled them up to the brim. They were really glad they did that later. And then he told them, now draw some out. He just said, draw some out. He didn't say draw some of the water out. He just said, draw some of that out and take it to the master of the banquet. And they did so. And the master of the banquet tested the water that had been turned into wine. And he didn't realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the, drawn the water knew now Jesus was in the equation. And he called to the bridegroom and he said, everyone brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best until now. This is the first of the miraculous signs Jesus performed at Cana in Galilee. He thus revealed his glory and his disciples put their faith in him. The first miracle was a miracle that said, the best is yet to come. That's not church hyperbole. That's gospel mentality. The story was a scarcity story. We are running out of wine. I don't think there was a convenience store nearby. I don't think they could give somebody a hundred bucks and say, hurry to Costco. I think it was just gonna wind down quickly and sadly for this family trying to celebrate, but Jesus got in the equation. Jesus told the, the servants what to do, and man, this catering company came off looking absolutely amazing. Because do you know, if you take the 30 gallons in all six pots and you think about wine being in a 750 milliliter bottle, typically Jesus made 906 bottles of wine. You've never been to a party where they serve 906 bottles of wine. They didn't need 906 bottles of wine at this party. Jesus didn't do a calculation. Well, how many people are out there? Well, how much have they already had? Well, how much do they need now on the back side of that? Okay, one pot's going to be fine. Just fill that one up halfway. Jesus said, how many pots are there? Fill them all up to the top. Because I'm not interested in making enough wine to mathematically equate to the people at the banquet, I'm interested in showing the world that I am supernatural, and I'm about to reveal my glory. I wasn't planning on doing it, coming here, but Mary talked me into it, my mom talked me into it, and so here I go, okay, fill them up, serve it out. Welcome to the kingdom of God, where it's not about less, it's about more. We're not talking about luxury, we're talking about possibility. And wherever Jesus is in the story, it's possible that the future just might be better than you think. The second or third story, however you're counting, comes from 1 Kings, and this story is one that I know that if you've been around church, uh, you've probably heard as well. If you haven't, I'm so glad because this is the story of somebody in the building today. Elijah the prophet had been sent out by God because it was a time of famine and drought, and he'd been sent out by God to a place where he could rest by this brook that was gonna provide him water and God actually had the ravens, the birds come and bring food to his prophet, Elijah. And so in a very desperate time, Elijah had the provision of God for his day-to-day -day sustenance, but it says eventually the brook dried up. And God said to him, you pick up the story in verse seven, sometime later when the brook dried up, because there had been no rain in the land. Anybody is at your store today? The brook's drying up, Louie. I love your sermon, I love your message, it sounds amazing, people on my row are clapping, but you don't understand, sometime later, the brook is drying up, and there's been no rain in my land. Then the word of the Lord came to him, and he said, go at once to Zarephath, 
and stay there. I've commanded. Now, this word commanded means I've already set this up. Don't you want to hear God say that? Don't you like it when God says that? Hey, I want you to do such and such, and I've already set it up. I've already taken care of it. I've already called somebody. I've already phoned it in. I put you on the list. I've already made all the arrangements. Everything's already in motion. And he said, I've already set in motion this widow in that place to supply you with food. Well, this gets interesting because he goes there, verse 10, and when he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks, and he called to her, and he asked her, would you bring me a little water in a jar so that I may have a drink? And she went to get it for him. She, she didn't start with her story. She just said, okay, here's a, a man of God. I can perceive this prophet is here, and so I'm gonna do it. So she goes to get it, and on the way, he calls out, and bring me, please, a piece of bread. Does God ever do that to you where he asks you for one thing, and you say, okay, I'm gonna try it, but as soon as you take that step, then he says, oh, and while you're taking that step, do you mind taking this step? While you're giving that gift, do you mind giving this gift? While you're sacrificing that, do you mind sacrificing a little bit more? So he says, hey, while you're getting a drink, do you mind getting me something to eat as well? And the lady now turns around, and here's the way she responds. She says, as surely as the Lord your God lives, I don't have any bread. I'm telling you the truth, man. The cupboard is bare. I don't have it. All I have is a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. And then she told her story. And man, I'm telling you, this is a real story, and it is a real story of scarcity. She said, here's my story, are you ready? I'm gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. Bro, you caught us on the wrong day. You, you, you caught us at the end of the journey. We, we, we don't have enough but for just our last meal and somehow I'm gonna provide that for my son and that's gonna be it for us. I'm a widow, I've got no backstop, I don't have anybody I can depend on, it's just me and my son, and this is the end of the road. But what she didn't know was that God had commanded it already. That before the prophet arrived, the plan was in place. So if you're a widow here with a son or a single mom with a handful of kids or a divorcee, thinking that the rug's been pulled out from under you, I wanna tell you that it's very likely today that God has already commanded a plan and a purpose over your life. And I'll just tell you what's coming at the end of this story. The plan and the purpose, you're thinking the plan and the purpose is, oh, God's gonna help me make it. That's not the plan and the purpose. The plan and the purpose is that you're gonna be a blessing to somebody else in their time of need. See, this is gospel power, gospel power. Man's power is God's gonna help me make it. God's power is no, I'm absolutely gonna help you make it. But more than that, I'm gonna make you a blessing to somebody else so that out of your lack, you're gonna actually provide their need. Out of your less, you're gonna be their more. You're gonna be the personification of the generosity heart of the gospel to people. You're not gonna be at the end of the line getting the very last bit. You're gonna be at the front of the line offering what you have to somebody else because I've already set in motion a plan and so she tells them the story I don't have it we're gonna make one last meal this is gonna be the end of us today and Elisha said to her don't be afraid now if the enemy travels in fear then God's always gonna come to us through the living scriptures and say those simple words don't be afraid Go home, do as you have said, but first make a small cake of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me, and then make something for yourself and your son. You know, the, the provision God's wanting to give her came in an ask, not in a gift. God didn't send Elisha to her and go, I know you have a son, I know you've got one last meal coming, I know you're gathering the sticks for the very end of the road for you and your son, so I, here I am, I'm Elisha the prophet, I've been by a brook and I've had ravens bring me food, I, I'm a man of God and so you know what I'm gonna do today, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna give you the abundance of God. That's not how the blessing came to her, the blessing came in an ass. So when God asks you to do something, don't think he's taking something from you, it's most likely he's about to give something to you. 
He said, for this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. This is not what I say. He said, this is what the Lord says. The jar of flour will not be used up and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord gives rain on the land. So she went away and did as Elijah had told her. So there was food every day for Elijah. So first for the prophet and for the woman and for her family. For the jar of flour was not used up and the jug of oil did not run dry in keeping with the word of the Lord spoken by Elijah. A scarcity story turned into an abundant story. A little bit of flour and a little bit of oil didn't run out, and the miracle was it just didn't run out. It wasn't that a flour truck backed up and an oil delivery was made. It was just that every single day a miracle happened, and sometimes we're waiting for the semi to back in and unload all the wherewithal to get us as far as we need to go, and God is saying, no, that's a miracle, but that's not the miracle. The miracle is going to be a cooler miracle than that. It's going to be that as you go, you're going to keep on going, and as you give, it's going to be given unto you, and as you you trust me, I'm going to respond to you. And every day you're going to look at the little bit of flour and the little bit of oil and say, God, are you going to do it again today? And then you're going to make that cake and you're going to give it to the prophet and you're going to eat it and your son's going to have it. And you're going to realize there's just enough flour and just enough oil to make another cake for tomorrow. And tomorrow you're going to say, are you going to do it today? And you're going to make that cake and realize there's just enough flour and just enough oil to make another cake. And then the next day you're saying, are you going to do it again today? Are you going to do it again today? Are you going to do it again today? And every single day, you're going to build a story of abundance and a story of provision and a story of God coming through for you. Your story's not going to be, wow, hello, I've got a billion in the bank, so I'm good. I can lose a cake today and tomorrow and the next day and 100 cakes after that. I still got a billion minus a few cakes. I'm good. No, that's not going to be your miracle story. Your miracle story is going to be, I trusted God today with what I had, and God came through for me when nothing else and no one else could. And after time went by, the lady was like, man, I, I, I'm, I'm not running out. I didn't die. <laughs> God was enough for me. Sometime later, and I think this is in this story because it's our lives, the son of the woman who owned the house became ill, verse 17. He grew worse and worse and finally stopped breathing. You're thinking, that's, that's my story. God came through, but then he didn't come through. Yes, he did come through, but then X happened, and yes, I did see his faithfulness, but then stuff evaporated, everything changed. We, we, we didn't know, we, we got hit from out of left field and we didn't even see it coming. And she said to Elijah, she said, what do you have against me, man of God? Did you come to remind me of my sin and kill my son? It's exactly what, what I do. We, we, we forget about the faithfulness of God in all the previous chapters of our lives as we stand on the brink of the challenge and the need that we have in the next chapter of our lives. And fear immediately comes through that door as if we had never seen God do a miracle in the first place. And again, the scarcity mentality suffocates us. And instead of turning around and going, hello, before I freak out, let me stop, rest, and remember that I have a God who is faithful to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, and he's been faithful to me. And he's always going to be faithful to me. Instead of saying, hey, I, I made a cake every day out of nothing, and it's because you showed up here, and God has provided for us, and we are still alive. And so you know what? My son just stopped breathing, but I don't know. God may have commanded something. God may be involved here. God may be working here. I'm just going to keep trusting God because I've seen God literally bring me through. But we forget, don't we? And she forgot, and Elijah stepped in and he said, give me your son. He went to the upper room. He put the, the boy on his bed and he stretched out next to him and three times he prayed. He said, God, please, will you show your mercy and your grace and your favor to this woman whose house that you have sent me to? And, and it says that the boy uh, lived. Three times he stretched himself on the boy 
and cried to the Lord, O Lord my God, let this boy's life return to him. And the Lord heard Elijah's cry, and the boy's life returned to him. And he picked him up, and he carried him down from the room of the, into the house, and he gave him to the mother, and he said, look, your son is alive. I mean, Elijah thought it was a big deal. He didn't say, well, here he is. You know, he said, look, this is amazing. Your son is alive. And then the woman said to Elijah, then she said, now I know you are a man of God. No, he was a man of God when he showed up and you were gathering the sticks. He was a man of God when he asked you for a drink and a piece of bread. He was a man of God when he promised you the flour and the oil will not run out. He was a man of God when he told you you're going to have what you need until the Lord causes it to rain on the earth. And we always need that, that breath of remembering. And if you're at the brink today, if you're facing death or in the valley of death or on the, the backside of death or there's, there's been a real collapse in your life, I just want to remind you that God who's been faithful is the God who's going to be faithful. And the future, it might be better than you think. You're like, well, those are big words. I met a friend uh, a few weeks ago named Levi Lesko. He's a pastor in Montana, he and his wife Jenny and their family. And a few years ago, um, just before Christmas, I, I didn't know Levi at the time, but I knew people who knew him really well. Um, Levi's daughter, Linya, who was four, while they were wrapping Christmas presents in the dining room, had an asthma attack just four days before Christmas. And before they could do anything, uh, Linya died on the, the kitchen counter in their home. And obviously, their family just began to travel through a, a crazy season. I mean, Levi, that very day, was preparing his message to give to the people of their church for Christmas. And everything was turned around and crazy. But God has brought their family through, and Levi has written a book about the journey that God's had him on. And he came to this conference I was speaking at and just did a very short interview about the book. And I, I was completely riveted by the bigness of the theology that this young, you know, early 30-something, super cool, tattooed, Montana church planning pastor was carrying. He wasn't carrying this little tiny gospel that said, God's good and God's for me and God's going to give me everything I ask him for. And then when that didn't happen, it all fell apart. He was carrying this huge view of God in his heart. And he said something that completely arrested me. And a few days ago, Shelly and I got to meet the rest of Levi's family and spend an afternoon with them on our Sabbath break. And I asked him to remind me what he said. He said, through the lens of faith, I have to remind myself that Linya is more a part of my future than she is my past. Though it feels like she's slipping away from me, I'm actually moving closer to her each day. Wow. See, scarcity says, look what you've lost. And the kingdom of God says, look what you're about to gain. You had, as he amplified, four years with Linya, and you are headed every day a step closer to forever with her. So what you have with her far outstrips what you've already experienced with her. The future might just be better than you think because it is not a future for you or me or anyone else without that one that we loved in Christ. It is a future more with that one that we loved. And this is the power of the gospel of Jesus, the one who wants to give us more and not less in our lives. And so the last story, 
I could not tell it. You already know it. If you gave this talk, you'd put it in. Jesus died for real. He bled and suffered. It was brutal and awful in every way imaginable. He was dead and buried and done. At least in the minds of those who crucified him and all the powers of hell and those who'd forgotten about his faithfulness in the past and the promise of the future to come. And so Jesus is dead. The followers of Jesus are huddled in darkness. They're planning their escape from the city of Jerusalem and want to put behind them this charade of Jesus until Mary, just doing the things she wanted to do to go properly take care of the body of Jesus, comes running back to the room where they're bolted in in fear and says, I don't know what happened, but the tomb's open. And two of the followers go running out the door. They arrive on the scene, enter the tomb, and find the grave clothes laying there. The head wrapping is folded up neatly as if someone was making a bold statement. And then Jesus, out of the shadows, called Mary's name. And a revolution called what we're sitting in today was born out of the birth from death of the Son of God. A story that looked pretty bleak on day two became the greatest story that's ever going to be told in humanity. Do you know why? Because even on the day that the Son of God is dead, the future just might be better than you think. And you wish those followers, and I wish I had remembered, hey guys, I know we died, but remember 906 bottles of wine. Remember that day? There was case after case after case. We all took cases of wine home. Everybody took cases of wine. It was the craziest thing we ever seen. Remember when he walked on the water? Remember when he raised Lazarus? Remember when he fed the 5,000? Remember when he did the miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle? We got chapter 1 through chapter 100 of the miracle power of God. I know they killed him. I know he died. I know he's been buried. I know he's in a tomb. But let's just sit here and wait for a little while. Let's just keep our eyes on the door because I got a feeling the story might be better than we think. The future just might be better than we think. So let's keep our eyes on the door. So when Jesus comes through the door, we'll be sitting here going, yeah, we knew you were coming. But no, they were huddled in. They were all afraid. They were all trying to plan their escape. And Jesus came through the wall. What's up, people? <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's me. We have a story. You say, well, those are three great stories. All the stories are nothing became something because of the power of God. In the void, he said, let there be light. And into the chaos of the end times, Jesus comes riding in victorious over it all. So yeah, maybe challenges are coming. But I, I believe the future is bright. And while the world is telling me and you, batten down the hatches, get all your money as safe and secure as you can, don't take any big risk because the markets are all going to collapse anyway. Look, we had the biggest depression in generations. And the bull market erased that in a heartbeat and gave back to every worthy investor who held on and didn't bail out far more than they lost in the collapse of the markets in 2007 and 2008. You're like, oh yeah, but hold on, Louis. We got another one coming right now. A big correction is underway. The markets have dropped 2,000 points in the last 10 days. Don't you read the papers on Sabbath? I mean, we're losing wealth right now. It's all gonna happen. It's going down. I think it's probably gonna go down before Christmas. What I read is, you know, this is it. We're all doomed. Look, Jesus can come when he wants to. He's not asking me or you. And nobody knows when he's coming except the Father. Not one person knows when he's coming but the Father. So let's be ready. Let's keep our eyes on the door. And when he gets here and comes into our world to take us home, let's say, yes, we were ready for you. But I'd make some plans for how you're gonna share the life and light of Jesus in this generation to all the people on earth if I were you. 
and I'd be bold with your resources and I would be bold with your faith and I would be bold with your conviction and I would put away the scarcity mentality and I would start looking up to heaven and saying, my God is gonna lead me through and my God is gonna take care of me and my God is gonna not only meet my needs, he's gonna use me to meet the needs of other people that I don't even know who they are. They're gonna come into the gates of my city and when they do, I'm gonna say, I don't know what I got, but I've got a God who's bigger than what I've got and the God who's bigger than what I've got is gonna use me to not only meet my need, but to meet your need because I know that if I trust him, what I have will never run out. It's a way of thinking, isn't it? More is not a delivery from God. It's a way of thinking about God. And it's crushing that spirit of fear that at the beginning of every new chapter of challenge wants to strangle us with that scarcity thought and say, no, no, I'm gonna stand and open my arms and I'm gonna believe that God is gonna be more than enough for me. So we're gonna be ready. We're gonna run to the needs of the world. We're gonna be a part of those billion people getting water, amen? We're gonna be a part of those billions of people getting the word of God, amen? We're gonna be part of 30 million slaves being free, amen? We're gonna be part of children not dying of diseases that can be prevented easily. We're gonna be a part of seeing the abundance of food and nutrition come to the starving people of planet Earth. We're gonna be a part of seeing an educational revolution. We're gonna be a part of seeing the poorest of the poor be lifted into possibility. We're gonna see what 100 years ago people thought was impossible today. In 100 years from now, we're gonna see things that no one could have imagined. And the church isn't gonna be over here on the fringes going, hey, we don't know what's going on. We're the most depressed people on earth. We're the most you know, anxious people on the planet. We're the most fearful people out there. We're battening down and holding on till Jesus comes. No, we're gonna be the boldest people on earth at the epicenter of every that's happening saying we're confident in God we believe in God we got trust in God we got hope in God God has worked a miracle in my life hello some of your story he worked a miracle in your marriage he brought you through you said but the prophet when he stretched out on my little boy he didn't come back to life I know but you're still alive and that's a miracle that is a miracle and there will be life There will be life for you and your little boy. And there will be a greater future coming than the one that's been lost. So we're gonna remember God's faithfulness in the past. It's gonna fuel us in confidence for the future. We're gonna remember today that God's provision is gonna be enough for us no matter what our need. We're gonna remember today that God's power in us through the Spirit is gonna overwhelm whatever the challenge is that we face. And we're gonna live like where we're going, hello, is better than what we've got right now. Because the future, the future is better than you think.